Included podcast starts right now. Welcome back to the Football Frenzy Podcast. Jake Asman joined alongside Dan Budick. We're back for week three of the NFL season, believe it or not. And Dan, last week's show, very successful. We'll get to the picks later on in the program. But a lot of big news still surrounding the NFL, and a lot of it has to do with off-the-field issues. And once again, Adrian Peterson is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and, and just the NFL is in the news for all the wrong reasons. I mean, uh, it started off with with Ray Rice, then Hardy. I, it never ends. And now Adrian Peterson with uh, the abuse charges. Obviously, last night he was put on the exempt list uh, of the last Vikings. Last night more like at um, about 2 o'clock Eastern two, time in the morning. Yep, it was about 2, 2.30 in the morning. Uh, uh, ESPN and all the other outlets are notified he will not participate in any team activities until further notice, so he cannot play in the game on Sunday, obviously, this upcoming week. But, I mean, they really had no choice. This has become uh, a phenomenon here with Adrian Peterson, as did Ray Rice. I mean, the second child and the and the abuse charges that, were, that no one heard about, and now all of a sudden they come uh, front and center under the sunlight. And uh, he, the bottom line is, is that the NFL can't have this anymore. The NFL has to has to tighten up on whether it's abuse, whether it's domestic violence. I, I mean, it starts to bring into consideration, and, and it should be. And when people started talking about it, I, I questioned it, and I wasn't sure if this was an issue. But over the last two weeks, I think the NFL has a domestic violence and has a violence issue in their league. I think it's apparent. It's become apparent in the last 20 days or so that the NFL has a serious, serious issue. And if they don't push, if they don't push it in now and if they don't squash the bug on it, this could become much worse. Absolutely, Dan. And before we get to the rest of the Adrian Peterson situation, we just want to set the uh, set the rundown here, go over the rundown for the program. We're going to be breaking down the AP situation, take some phone calls, and when we come back from that, you'll hear from Jake Chernock with his four-down segment later in the show. Of course, we'll break down the Jets and Giants matchups. Obviously, the Jets are going to be at home on Monday Night Football against the Bears. The Giants, of course, will be also at home on Sunday facing the Houston Texans. Both teams had brutal losses in Week 2, so we'll get to that a little later in the program. We'll also go around the league, give you our Mark Weber Game of the Week, and of course, later on in the show, we'll make our picks. Dan, I know you you went, uh, I think, 3-2. Three and, two. Three and two last I week. went 4-1. and one. So as of right now, I'm up by one game as we head into week three of the NFL season. But we'll get to that all later on in the program. But, Dan, as you were saying about Adrian Peterson, the NFL didn't have a choice. The Vikings didn't have a choice. The, the NFL has an issue here. They keep having these off-the-field issues, whether it's someone like Wes Welker getting um, you know, getting into trouble with performance-hancing drugs, with the Molly and everything he was accused of doing and getting suspended, to obviously the whole Ray Rice situation that blew up that the NFL allegedly could have tried to cover up that is still an ongoing still situation. Know, yeah. And, of course, the Adrian Peterson thing is just unacceptable. And I don't want to spend the entire show talking talking about how you should parent your kids. But one thing's evident, the way he was beating his kid is not how you treat a four-year-old. It's not how you treat any kid. But the fact that he was four years old and he thought that this was socially acceptable just because, quote, he thought that, you know, the way he was, uh, you know, being brought up was the same way that he was going to treat his kid, that's just unacceptable. It's it's terrible. And that is child abuse. And, you know, Adrian Peterson will likely get off, which is a warning for right now. He's not going to go to jail for this, but... Yeah, the Vikings had to do something. They didn't have a choice. I'm not going to credit the Vikings because they felt a public pressure. But the minute the sponsors started speaking up, like Anheuser-Busch did earlier in the week, and Nike removed all the Adrian Peterson jerseys from their stores, you know, this was a situation when it starts affecting the NFL's bottom line, and that's when the NFL and the Vikings were going to have to step up and do something. Yeah, they didn't have a choice, and I think one thing the Vikings were doing is they were waiting for the NFL to take an initiative here and do something, and I think that's one thing 
where I think the NFL really not dropped the ball here with Adrian Peterson, but you know the Vikings were waiting for the NFL to take initiative here. They were waiting for the Viking for the NFL to do something, maybe throw out a suspension, maybe put out a ruling what what Adrian Peterson's status will be this week and going forward. The NFL didn't do a thing, so the Vikings had to do it themselves. They had to put him on the exemplar. Which is another point, Dan. Where has Roger Goodell been this entire time? Where's Roger Goodell been? He has not spoke since he obviously did the sit-down with CBS. You still have the Ray Rice thing going on. You have one of your biggest stars in Adrian Peterson uh, getting accused of such horrible things. And he admitted to the the first part of the child abuse. Obviously, the second story came out, which is why the Vikings put him on that list. That's that's what I'm saying. But where's the commissioner of the National Football League been? This isn't a Viking issue. This is an NFL issue. The, the I understand he plays for the Minnesota Vikings, but the Minnesota Vikings are part of the National Football League. They're part of an association. I mean, they're I mean, it's 32 teams together, uh, commissioned by one commissioner who hasn't done a good job in the last three weeks of doing that. And I think he really needed to come down on Adrian Peterson before the Vikings did. But when it became apparent the NFL wasn't going to do anything, the Vikings in their front office had absolutely no choice. But to put Adrian Peterson on that exempt list, he cannot play going forward, at least for the immediate future. Absolutely. And the NFL's in a situation here where they don't have a choice at all, Dan. You said it. They had to do something. The Vikings did something, obviously. But the minute it starts affecting the NFL's bottom line, you knew something was going to happen. They weren't just going to sit back and allow Adrian Peterson to play. But then that brings up another situation I want to touch on is the Greg Hardy situation. What do you do with this guy? You don't. You play him during week one of the NFL season. You sit him for week two because of the public outcry over the Ray Rice situation that unfolded. Now... What do you do with him? And they announced it. Of course, that they put him on that uh, the same list that they put Adrian they Peterson to. are. A- Adrian Peterson is on. But it all comes back to this: if that Ray Rice video was never released by TMZ, Ray Rice is playing right now. Adrian Peterson is probably playing right now because there's less public outcry over the previous events. And Greg Hardy played in Week One, so he would still be playing I mean, right now. It just goes to show you how um, how bad the NFL has handled this entire situation. It makes them look awful, and it makes them look even worse that their commissioner has gone into hiding over the past week because of this whole Ray Rice situation in the first place. And the Greg Hardy situation. I mean, when his when that information came out of what he did to his girlfriend, when that came out last week, at the beginning of last week on ESPN. You couldn't I, play him. I, he should never play football again. I mean, this is a this is a monster. And let's make something clear here. You want to talk about Ray Rice. Greg Hardy's a monster. And let's make something clear here. Greg Hardy was convicted. He was found guilty, but the rule in Carolina is because his trial was by just a judge, there was no jury, you could request to have a trial done by a jury, which he did, so they're awaiting for the appeal process to run its course. But Greg Hardy was convicted of he should not this be, domestic he should violence never, where he beat his wife, he should, threw her in a bathtub, choked her out, and threatened to kill her. Greg Hardy should never, ever play in the NFL again. And, you know, I don't want to say the NFL has a problem, but they definitely do have some issues. They also have the most players out of any league when you have, you know, 52 guys to a roster. But... You know, the, or 53, whatever it is. But, the, you know, but the problem with it is that all these stories are just coming out at once. And there's some major players being involved. Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson. Uh, these are big-time names that are in that are in the sport. Absolutely. It does not look good for the league right now. And, you know, Roger Goodell, I don't know where he's been, but he better get his act together very quickly because people are starting to get very frustrated. Obviously, the NFL is invincible and people are going to not turn away. But it just looks terrible for the league that you have two of your biggest stars going down with such big issues like this, and you have a commissioner that might be involved in one of the biggest scandals since Watergate. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it is definitely a huge scandal when you talk about the NFL and domestic violence. I mean, it's monstrous, and, and we're still waiting, like you mentioned earlier, Jake, to hear what would happen and what's going to happen with that. But as far as the Greg Hardy situation is concerned, I mean, I think as a league, I, you have to take some sort of initiative here. I understand that he hasn't gone through the full extent of the legal process with – 
getting a, 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 a jury involved and a traditional court and a court date. I, I believe it's for sometime in November. But here's the thing: I you, believe, can't, you but, can't let things play out. But you can't. He got convicted. You can't. You know what he was accused of. If you want, you can't use this whole. Well, let's let the court system play out. Why? That, you can't take have this guy play if on Major Sunday. League Baseball did that with Alex Rodriguez. He would still be playing right now. You have to be aggressive. You got to clean up your sport, like baseball tried to do with the steroid era, which is what the NFL has to do right now with this domestic violence problem and the child abuse issue with Adrian Peterson. You got to clean up the sport because right now there's too many big names getting arrested, being involved in different crimes. It's it's gotten out of control, and the NFL's in a situation where they better clean it up fast because this is just so ugly right now for the league. And it, and you made a great point, Jake. We're not talking about a third string safety on the practice squad. We're talking about. Big time. Adrian you know, Peterson might be the mil- best running back Adrian, in football. Adrian Peterson is probably the best running back in football, and he has been for a number of years already, arguably. So, I mean, that is a big name. Ray Rice is one of the better backs in football. Greg Hardy is one of the better defensive players in football over the last couple of years with the Panthers. It is a big time problem in the National Football League. That's going to wrap up our first part of the show today, breaking down the Adrian Peterson situation. But when we come back from break, we're going to start diving into week three of the NFL season. We're going to break down the Jets, the Giants, and go around week three of the NFL. Back right after this. You are listening to the Asman and Butte podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Back here at the Asman and Butte Show podcast, football frenzy week number three. And we're going to dive right now into the Jets and the Giants. The Giants are home. They're two, two, two and a half point underdogs at home against the Houston Texans. And oof, I mean, Houston's, you know, they won last week, but they're, they're not a good team. And the Giants obviously haven't shown much. And then you got the Jets. Trying to come back from a brutal loss ended up being to the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. They play Monday night home against the Chicago Bears. And then you look at this Giants team, and if they fall to 0-3 on Sunday against the Houston Texans, their season's over. The oh, fact that they are 0-2 right now, and they lost to Drew Stanton, who hasn't thrown a pass in an NFL game since 2010. You're looking at a season that is over if they lose to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Houston Texans at home on Sunday. And as much as I'm a huge Eli Manning fan and a huge Tom Coughlin fan, you know, those two guys are not going to be enough to be able to save this team. Eli's still struggling. He played okay in Week 2. He played better than he was in Week 1. But he's not the same Eli Manning that can still carry this team. They just, As we talked about last week, they don't have the skill position players to be able to put up some points. The Giants' defense is very suspect. That secondary hasn't been great so far. They really need big contributions from Kiwanuka and JPP to step up and make some plays. But you have J.J. Watt coming in on a very good Houston Texans defense. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, to his credit, has played really well so far this season. So the Texans are not going to be an easy challenge for the Giants team. And the fact that the Texans are favored... On the road just speaks volumes about the rest of the league and what Vegas thinks of the Giants right now. And, Jake, we had Sal Palantonio on this very show in the spring, and he said he thought the Giants were on their way to five or six wins and a new head coach. And you know what? The more I see this team, the more I see them play, the more I think that's a possibility. And we kind of looked at each other when Sal said it and said, well, I don't know if it's going to be that bad, but it very well might be that bad. I mean, the Giants on offense are anemic. You know, they cannot move the ball downfield. They can't even move the ball. Their offensive line is brutal. At tight end, they're weak in an offense that 
is built around the tight end we hear from McAdoo in this, and they don't have a tight end. No, no tight end, and, you know, this is a giant scene that, you know, brought in Rashad Jennings. You obviously drafted, you know, a running back out of BC. He's now starting for you, getting some, getting some big-time carries for you. And then, but you look at the rest of this Giants team, they're not really built to run the football. Offensively, you look at their offensive line, a lot of new guys coming in, a lot of guys retired. They're only averaging 67 yards per rush, and Houston is able to run the ball for over 152 yards per game. So they come into MetLife Stadium, ground to pound the football, and put Ryan Fitzpatrick in a situation where he only has to manage the football game. That puts Houston in a great situation to be able to win this game. And we already mentioned J.J. Watt, but it's not even just Watt. The rest of the Houston defense is outstanding as well. It is, and you know Houston had a lot of issues last year, and a lot of it was because of the quarterback play. Matt Schaub did not play the way he's played in previous season. They're getting decent quarterback play from Ryan Fitzpatrick, at least early on here in the season. I mean, they're 2-0. and So if you look at it right now, they're, a, they're, they're not a great team, but they're significantly better than the Giants are right now. For the Giants to win this game, they're going to need Rashad Jennings and Andre Williams to really step up and be able to run the football effectively, take some pressure off Eli Manning, and this defense has to make some big-time plays. They have to stop Arian Foster, stop the run game, and we'll make our picks later on in the show. But for the Giants to win this game, they need to play a complete football game. Their season's on the line. Right now, the Texans come in. They're 2-0. and No one knows how good they really are. They're a work in progress as well. But this is a Giants team that if you're expecting them to go on some sort of miraculous run, it's not going to happen if they start 0-3. No team comes back from 0-3 to make the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. And this is the Giants team that last year started 0-6. So they're right back in a similar situation if they go right to 0-3. And last year they finished 7-9. They played well down the stretch. But they didn't beat anyone down the stretch last year. If you remember... They had a week's back into the schedule. They had a very soft schedule and they took advantage of it. The Giants had an opportunity to get right back into the race if they beat the Cowboys at home a year ago. And they didn't do it. And that was really their season. That was the end of it in November right before Thanksgiving, but they're in a similar situation now because you look at the rest of the league, the NFC is going to produce two quality wildcard teams, whether it's Atlanta or the Saints or Carolina. Two teams are not coming out of the, the NFC East. Absolutely, so you need to win the division, and right now the Eagles are 2-0. and The Eagles are 2-0. and Eagles are clearly the best team in the division. The Eagles are, absolutely, and who knows what the Redskins are going to be now. We'll touch on it a little bit later, what they're, they're going to be offensively now with Kirk Cousins running the show. So the NFC East is not going to be there for the Giants. If they lose this game, they put themselves in a huge hole, and it's a hole I'm not sure if they're going to come back. They need to win this football game. And, you know, we saw last year they weren't able to come back from an 0-3 hole because they started out 0-6. So, we, you know, we saw this just a year ago with this team, and that it starts to bring into question, where do you go if you're the Giants? What direction are you trying to go into? I know they didn't phrase this year as a rebuilding year, but it very well looks like this is just a rebuilding year for the Giants. I mean, just talk about on offense. You know, Victor Cruz saying, get me the ball, get me the ball. He wasn't catching anything how about you, the other How about day. Victor Cruz? You want the ball, you catch the you ball when catch it's on you. catch the football. And he didn't do it the other day. And he cost the Giants serious yardage in a game they sh- absolutely, with Drew Stanton starting quarterback for the Cardinals, they should have won that football game. No, absolutely, and the Giants are in a situation here. We keep saying it. Their season is on the line. We're going to know a lot about this team based on how well they play at home. You have back-to-back home games. This is supposed to be the soft part of your schedule, and the Giants just have not lived up to, you know, I don't know if they had expectations, but they had expectations from their fans to not start 0-2, not start potentially 0-3. I'm not sure people around the league thought much of the Giants, but Giant fans did not think with an Eli Manning-led team and a Tom Coughlin coach team that the Giants were going to be in this situation again after they went through... You know, the same thing last year, as we talked about, when they started 0-6. You made a great point, Jake, right there, but look at this team, how they were built in the offseason. Jerry Reese and the the Giants front office put an emphasis on defense. Getting better in the safety position, getting better in the secondary. Yeah, they did that. They're a much better defense. But for an offense built around the tight end, 
like I said, they didn't do that. They didn't add the depth on offense that they needed to. At running back, they did. And, you know, they obviously lost David Wilson, which was a disappointment. That's an unfortunate injury that he suffered last year that, you know, hurt his career, and his career's over. But when you talk about receiver, they did not do a good job of putting an offense together and putting in a cohesive unit ready for week one. No, and the thing with the NFL is, too, it's not like baseball where you could bring in a lot of different pieces in a season, and then by the next season you're in a situation where you're ready to compete. Football takes a lot of time to develop chemistry, especially when you bring in a new offensive coordinator to try and run your offense. So the Giants are really in a situation where they're essentially a rebuilding football team, but with a head coach and a quarterback that are ready to win now. Eli Manning still considered to be in his prime. Tom Coughlin is obviously 68 years old and is a two-time Super Bowl winner, so he's not going to be there for the long term. He's there to try and win another championship right now for this Giants team. So, you know, the situation the Giants are in is kind of, you know, two storylines going on at once. You have a team that's trying to rebuild, and then you have a team that's also in a situation where they're trying to win now with some key players at their positions like Victor Cruz and Eli Manning and JPP, guys that have been there for a while that were part of those championship teams, mainly the the team that beat the Patriots most recently in 2011. So the Giants are still in win-now mode from that perspective, but they also brought in a lot of new guys and reshaped their defense, and they're going to have to reshape their offense because right now they just don't have enough skill, skill players out there to be able to allow Eli Manning to have any sort of success in this new offense. They have none. They have none, and it's it's a disappointment because, you know, Eli wants to win, and, and Tom Coughlin's at the point where he's not going to go through a whole rebuild with this team. I mean, he's a proven NFL head coach. You know, he's won two Super Bowls. He's not looking to rebuild this team, and I don't think he's going to be the coach if, it, if they continue to, to spiral downwards into the direction they look like they're headed. No, oh, absolutely, and then you look at the Texans, that we talked about it a little earlier, just about how good their defense is. It's very you give them good. credit. That you give them credit that they've also started 2-0. and They've had consistent play from their offense. They've done a good enough job to put their defense in a situation to help them win games. And, you know, we've seen this a lot with our team, the Jets, with Mark Sanchez when he was the quarterback, and even Geno Smith to some extent a season ago. If you have a quarterback that can manage the football game, not turn the ball over, which Ryan Fitzpatrick has not done so far early on this season, and you have a solid defense led by the the best defensive player in football, you have an opportunity to win games. And the Texans so far, give them credit, they've started 2-0. Yep, they've absolutely started 2-0. So that's the Giants and the Houston Texans. We'll get into more in-depth of it throughout our pigskin pick'em section, who Jake and I have for that game. But then you talk about... A game on Monday night, you got the Jets and the Bears and uh, the uh, second local matchup going on this week, and the Jets trying to bounce back from an absolutely demoralizing loss on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. It was a game they led 21-3. to 21-9 were in full control until that interception where it looked like there was some kind of breakage on the Jets' offensive line. Gina was smacked. Sudfeld did not break up the pass, pick off. They travel 97 yards in what? two minutes and 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 uh make it make it 21 20 21 15 right before the half and the rest is history in the second half of the Jets just an absolutely demoralizing and brutal loss for the Jets it was awful I mean that's the only way to put it the Jets were in a situation where they should have won a football game against a very good team on the road they didn't and we could spend an entire show breaking down last week's game but for you know the sanity of ourselves as two diehard Jet fans that you know almost broke several items in our room, including the dorm room door that, Dan, you almost broke, and you know a couple other things that were tossed around the room throughout the course of that game. We're going to save everyone, um, <laughs> save everyone, nah, I don't know, the pity, I guess, of going through all that again, but 
you know, the Jets are in a situation here where they don't win Monday night. People are going to start to panic. And it's not necessarily because of the fact that they should have went into Green Bay and won. A lot of people, if you looked at the schedule, probably said they wouldn't win. But it's the fact that they should have won. And then if they go at home Monday night football in front of the entire country and they lay an egg and they don't beat the Bears, people are going to start to freak out a little bit that the Jets are 1-2 when they should essentially be at least 2-0 and right now. But for the Jets to win on Monday night, it comes back to a couple things. Geno Smith cannot turn the football over under any circumstance. I'm not going to blame him for the interception that he made at the end of the half that really turned that football game around when he threw that pick and the Packers went the other way and went 97 yards right before the half to you know bring the halftime score of 21 to 16. But that was a huge play in that game. Ended he, up being, yeah. He took a huge hit for Brian Winters. So you blame the offensive line, the protection scheme, whatever you want to blame. But Geno Smith can't turn the football over. If you give the Bears extra opportunities with that offense, with Jay Cutler and the way he's able to find his receivers and Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey, the Jets will be in for a very long night with his secondary. And that brings me to my next point. The Jets need, need to step up in the pass rush. They got to Aaron Rodgers very early in that football game, but then once the Packers made some adjustments, got Rodgers out of the pocket more, got him on his feet, rolling, used a little play action, he was ready to spread the ball throughout the field, and of course, the Jordy Nelson had 209 yards on the day. Absurd. So, Absurd. So the Jets are in a situation where they need to make sure that they are putting consistent pressure on Jay Cutler and this Bears offensive line, or it's going to be a long day for the secondary, and we think the Jets' offense can score some points. They showed you they could the other day, but most of those points came in that first half. They only got a field goal in the second half, and that was the difference in the game. And it was their first three drives they scored three touchdowns to take a 21-3 to three And then lead. what happened? The Packers made some adjustments, so the Jets yeah. need to make sure that they're scoring early, they're scoring late. They can't be complacent. They can't run out of gas like they did against Green Bay. They had multiple opportunities against the Packers to put that football game away when it was 21-3. Instead, they allowed the Packers to kick well, the, a couple field well, goals, thing, chip away at it, and then eventually Aaron Rodgers proves to be too good, and the Jets lost that football game. One thing I think is apparent is that the Jets cannot, under any circumstance, shoot themselves in the leg, shoot themselves in the butt, shoot themselves anywhere. They cannot hurt themselves from penalties, Whatever the case may be, twelve men on the field. You can't. You got to know what's going on with timeouts. They have to be in command. That means coming out of a challenge, you can't burn a timeout. Under any circumstance, coming out of a challenge, you can't burn a timeout. You know, on your first drive of the game, right after you get a ball taken over by Green Bay last week, what they have to do? They had to burn a timeout. You got to be careful about your timeouts because you need them late in games. And they can't have stupid penalties like they did when they should have had a David Harris interception deep into Green Bay territory, and there were twelve men on the field. 12 men on the field, a couple plays, the Jets only had 10 people on the field, and they oh, had to call a timeout. How does that happen it in the National Football League? It can't happen. And the Jets, say whatever you want about them, through two games, I think people are pretty impressed, the fact that they were in the game. But as a Jet fan, we wanted to win that football game. Yeah. The game was there to be taken. On Monday night, when you're favorite at home by three points, you need to go out there and you need to win this football game. Under You know, you got you to gotta do whatever it takes. I'm not going to make any excuses for the Jets team. The Bears are a good team. You give them credit for the way they came back against the Niners. But, I mean, come on. The Jets need to win this football game. They need to play a complete game. Let's let's stop with the turnovers from Geno Smith. Let's run the football. The Jets need to get Chris Johnson back in this offense because Chris Johnson and Chris Ivory combined on the ground for about 50 yards or so. It was one of the worst performances of Chris Johnson's career. I think he had 12 carries and They couldn't run the ball. And they kept, they, that's all they kept doing in the second half was, oh, it's bounded up to Chris Johnson. There was nothing going on in the running game for the Jets, and it really hurt them in the second half. That and a big question mark for this game is going to be, will Eric Decker play? As we record this yep. right now, he's going to be questionable for 
for the game. We don't know what his status is going to be. And, you know, Eric Decker has played unbelievable so far for this team. He's really developed a nice rapport with Geno Smith. You've been able, you've been able to really see it on the, on the field so far. And a gorgeous touchdown pass that he hit Decker with near the sideline on that double move that D- Decker pulled out. And he's a big part of this offense. Getting Eric Decker healthy on the field is a big piece for this Jets team to be able to go out there on Monday night and win this football game. And they need to make sure that they stop Matt Forte. If Forte starts going off, that's going to open up their entire offense for it this will. Bears team. If up- he has a great game and he starts exploding on you, the Jets wide receiver, or excuse me, the Bears wide receivers are going to have more one-on-one opportunities to be able to burn the secondary. So the Jets need to stop the run and they need to put some pressure on Jay Cutler. Well, I, that's what I'm worried about. And I'm not so worried about the run because they've shown they could stop the run. And I'm not that worried about stopping Matt Forte. Yeah, he's a tremendous back, but the Jets have a tremendous, tremendous front on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm not, I'm, you know, a little nervous, but I'm not that nervous about that. It's putting consistent pressure on Jay Cutler because we saw in the first half last week, oh, the pressure was, they, especially in the first and, sec- and first and early on in the second quarter, the Jets were putting a tremendous amount of pressure on They were holding the Rogers. Green Bay Packers to field goals. No, and the, and the, Jets, the Jets were putting a tremendous amount of pressure on, on Rodgers. I think, you know, Rodgers' first seven times dropping back, he was hurried five times and sacked once. I mean, he, it was tremendous. And then all of a sudden, Rodgers had all day to throw. Jordy Nelson was wide open because D. Milner's playing on a bad ankle. And playing on uh, basically one leg. I mean, which is another thing. D. Milner can't be utilized the way the not Jets unless want to he's use healthy. Him. Unless he's healthy, it showed you he yeah. was slow to every. But play what does that just tell beat. you? What does that tell you about the fate that Rex and uh, and Dennis Thurman have in in these other second in these other defensive backs? If they're putting D. Milner on one good leg in there against Jordy Nelson, yeah. what does that tell you of what they think about Darren Walls? Uh, you know, not necessarily Antonio Allen, but about, about these guys in the backfield. They don't have much faith in them, and neither do we as fans. Nope, and we said this the whole time. We said it when we did shows last year talking about what the Jets should do in the offseason. We stretched the corner position. And they did not we said that. they needed to sign somebody. The guy they brought in is no longer on the team. That was a disaster with the whole Dimitri Patterson situation. We both wanted Revis back. We both wanted Allen. Uh, Lane, um, who was the guy from San Francisco that I'm thinking of? Um, Carlos Rogers. Not Rogers. They signed someone else that was um, tremendous. Who are you talking about? There was a corner that the, the San Francisco Niners signed. He was one of the top names on the market. I, mean, I don't know off the top of my head. Let me try to get that together here. But either way, the Jets did not do anything. Dominique Rogers Cromartie was on the market. They right. let him walk out. He went to the he went to the uh, to the Giants just, uh, just next door. So I mean that was demoralizing. The Jets needed to add defensive act. They didn't do it. And then you were like, well. You know, maybe it won't be the worst thing in the world. And then you saw in the preseason that they don't exactly have the defensive backs where they could exactly not get pressure on. These guys are going to get exposed downfield, especially when you're dealing with, I mean, and, and Jake, I said this to you, Jordy Nelson's a very good receiver, but he's not good enough to have nine catches for 209 yards. That's absurd. No, That's and, absurd. And if Jordy Nelson could put up those type of numbers, what do you think Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall could do together? Because you, you can't double both of them. You can't double both of them. No, and you know it's going to be a major issue for you know for this team going forward if they cannot put pressure on the quarterback because their secondary is just not good enough. And offensively, Geno Smith, if he doesn't turn the ball over, he should be able to put up some points. This is the Bears defense that has been allowing twenty-one points a game through their first two games this season. So if they go out there and they play consistent football and don't turn the ball over, run the football, get Chris Jones and get Chris Ivory going. You know the Jets should be in a situation where at home they should be able to put up some points. It's going to come down to. Gino not turning the ball over and putting a pass rush on the Bears. If they do that, I'm going to take the Jets to win this game, but we'll make the picks later on the show. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a good game. Listen, Monday Night Football, 
you know, I think it's not exactly what the Jets wanted after a loss like that. That after that type of loss, I think you just want to get back right back on the field and and play. But they have to wait till Monday night as they take on the Chicago Bears. You know, like you like you mentioned earlier, Jake. Prime time. Everyone's gonna get a chance to see this New York Jet offense and see this New York Jet team. And it would have been nice if they were doing it two and zero, but we're gonna have to settle for one and one. So the Jets are home against the Bears. It'll be Monday Night Football, and it should be an exciting one. We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back right with the Pigskin Pick'ems right here on the Asman Budic Show. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Well, you can tell everybody. All right, and welcome back to the Asman and Budic Show. This is... The Football Frenzy Podcast. This is our second Football Frenzy. And, of course, this is week three of the NFL season. And before we get into the pigskin pickums, we want to go around the league, talk about week three of the NFL season, read off the schedule, and touch on some of the marquee games before we get into the pick segment. And we begin, of course, the Thursday night game, Buccaneers-Falcons. That will occur before we release the show, so we won't really get into that. Sunday, you have the Chargers are going to be in Buffalo to take on the very surprising 2-0 Bills. And this is a Chargers team, Dan, that upset the Seahawks at home, a game that we talked about as a possible upset game. It turns out the Chargers were able to pull it off. Yeah, the Chargers are a good offensive team, and we've seen that at times you get a team away from home like Seattle is. They're so good at home that they're beatable on the road, and San Diego did a great job offensively of exposing some holes in Richard Sherman's game on those short slant patterns. We're able to get some yardage on Richard Sherman. Not necessarily big-time plays, but advance the ball downfield. Cowboys are going to be in St. Louis to take on the Rams. More on this game in a little bit. The Redskins and the Eagles are playing each other, and that's Deshaun Jackson's return to Philly. So that's going to be you know, probably an interesting game. Of course, Deshaun Jackson was injured, so we don't really know what his status is right now, if he's going to play or not. The Texans and the Giants, we're going to talk about that game, of course. We talked about it earlier on the show. The Vikings and the Saints, this is a potential MW game of the week when you look at the fact that there is no... Adrian Peterson for the Vikings, obviously. And the Saints are 0-2. They get their home opener in the Dome where they don't really lose a game there ever. So that should be an interesting matchup. The Saints should take care of business there. Oh, it's their week to get back on track. Absolutely. The Titans and the Bengals, a matchup of a 2-0 team in the Bengals and the Titans. That's a divisional matchup right there. And, you know, that's obviously – actually, sorry, that's not a divisional matchup. The Titans are in the south and the Bengals are in the north of the AFC. But nevertheless, it's still a very good game. Let's see how Tennessee bounces back after a tough loss to Dallas. And, you know, you give credit to the Bengals. They've started 2-0 and so far. They've had two nice wins over Atlanta and the and, – um, over Atlanta and Baltimore so far this season. So the Bengals have looked really sharp. And then you look at another 1 o'clock game on CBS. The Ravens are going to be in Cleveland to take on the Browns. Will we see Johnny Manziel? Could Who be. knows? Not after last week when Brian Hoyer helped lead the Cleveland Browns to a big win over the Saints, as we talked about earlier. The Packers and the Lions are going to be facing off. Colts, Jaguars, Raiders, Patriots, and the some 4 o'clock games now. The Niners are going to be at the Cardinals. The Broncos in a rematch of the Super Bowl, which we'll touch on right now. The Broncos are going to be in Seattle to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, and you got the Seattle Seahawks team coming off a loss. But we've seen how good they could be. They bounce back well. You know, obviously you mentioned it before. You have a team like San Diego going in at home. We're able to beat up on the Seahawks a little bit. And like I said before, expose a little bit of that defense. But I expect them to bounce back. I'm still going to take the Seahawks. They have the home field advantage. And the Seahawks are actually four-and-a-half-point favorites in this football game. It surprises not a little more. But the Broncos come in 2-0 and and the Seahawks come in off a tough loss to the Chargers a week ago. Another 4 o'clock game, the Chiefs and the Dolphins. 
Obviously, the Chiefs are zero and two after the season they started. They they had last year. I think they started nine and zero last year, and the Chiefs are already zero and two so far this season. Dolphins are one and one, tough loss against the Bills last week in an AFC East matchup. And the Sunday night football game is the Steelers and the Panthers. And of course, the Monday night football game is the New York Jets and the Chicago Bears. We're gonna get to that and make our picks in just a little bit. But that brings us to the Pigskin Pickums, and here we go. Are you ready? This week's Pigskin Pickums starts right now. Yeah, starting off, we start. We talked about it real quick earlier. Obviously, jumping back to it, the Giants, two-and-a-half-point dog at home against the Houston Texans, Jake. Yeah, you know, this is a game where I think the Giants have to get it. I think the Giants are in a situation, we said it throughout this broadcast, where if they lose, their season's over. For that reason, I'm going to take my, my love of Eli, my love of Tom Coughlin, and I'm going to pick the Giants in this one. I think at home, they're able to get it done. I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have a nice game against his Giants defense, but I think Eli Manning in a do-or-die situation is able to make just enough plays to prevent this Giants from starting the season 0-3. I agree with you. I think the Giants are going to win, but I think the Giants are going to make big plays on defense to help win them this one. You look then at uh, the Sunday night game before we jump into the Jet games. We also do two wild card games. Just throwing it out there, we do jump to two wild card games. Well, it's important to know we're doing the we're doing the second wild card game this week. We usually only do one, but since the Jets are Monday night, we're gonna add another game. So we pick five games every single week here on the Football Frenzy podcast. And then of course we'll get to that Mark Webber game of the week. But you jump to Sunday night, Jake. You got the Carolina Panthers home against those Pittsburgh Steelers, a three and a half point spread. Yeah, you know, and I'm gonna take the, the Panthers in this one since you, since the uh, Panthers um, you know took over and had their renaissance season a year. Ago. They were seven to one last year at home. They're already one and zero this season. The Panthers, I just think they have enough. They have enough offense to get by the Steelers. The Steelers really have not impressed me a lot this season. I saw them play last week against the Ravens on Thursday Night Football, and they just did not look good, to, you know, at all. I think the Carolina defense, even without Greg Hardy, is still going to be able to step up and neutralize Ben Roethlisberger and that Steelers rushing attack. And I think Cam Newton continues to show signs that he's going to be a franchise quarterback for the team for years to come. I think he steps up and plays a nice game. I'm taking the Panthers at home to win the game outright and cover the spread. Yeah, Pittsburgh looked awful last week in a loss. I'm taking Carolina. They're at home three and a half points. I'm giving it to them. I think they're going to win the football game. Like you mentioned, Cam Newton. This offense is only going to get stronger. I love the addition of Jason Avon. I love some of the additions like Jericho Cotri on offense for him. And a Steelers team that I think is overrated. I don't think the Steelers are very good this year. I think they're leaning towards a 7-9 or 8-8 season. So I will take the Carolina Panthers. And before we get in the wild card, we'll again jump to Monday night. The New York Jets at home against the Chicago Bears. Uh, you got three and a half, three point dogs. Chicago, the Jets are favored, Jake. I'm taking the New York Jets in this one. I think they got to get back on track. A lot of it's because I'm a Jet fan. I really don't know. But I think if Geno Smith, as we talked about, steps up, does not turn the football over, and the defense gets enough pressure like they did against Aaron Rodgers in that first half, the Jets are in a situation late in the fourth quarter where they're in a situation where they're going to win the football game. They need to run the football effective. They got to get Chris Ivory and Chris Johnson back in this offense, get them involved, get them going once again. A lot of it depends on if Eric Decker is going to play. But even if he doesn't, I still have enough confidence in Geno Smith in year two to be able to play well on Monday Night Football. We saw last year on Monday Night, Geno Smith against the Falcons did three touchdowns on the road, and that was incredibly impressive at the time. Hopefully, Geno Smith can play like he did a year ago against the Falcons on Monday Night Football. Nevertheless, I'm taking the Jets. I think they win the game. Yeah, I think the Jets win the game also, but I think they win the game for a different reason. I think Geno Smith's going to play well, but I think they're going to get their running game back going again. You look at the Chicago Bears defensive front, it's good. It's not great. It's definitely not as good as Green Bay did. Yeah, as Green Bay is like last week. I think the Jets are going to be able to run the ball consistently this week. I think it's going to be a big game for Chris Johnson. I think the Jets are going to get back on track and bounce back and get this win. Now switching to the wild card games, my first wild card is the Colts at the Jaguars. The Colts are seven-point 
favorites on the road. And, you know, I'm going to take them to cover. The Colts are 0-2. They're in desperation mode. They need to win this football game. I think they're going to win really big in this football game. Jacksonville is not a good team. They should just play Blake Bortles already and make it interesting, get the rookie some experience. That's a conversation for another day. I think Andrew Luck in a do-or-die situation and for the way the Colts have played the past two weeks starting 0-2, I think they put, go into Jacksonville, put up some big offensive numbers, and win the game. Just a quick step for Dan to give your first ball for Dan. In their last two meetings, Indianapolis has won the game by a combined score of 67-13. So this is an Indianapolis team that knows how to take care of business against Jacksonville, especially when they're 0 2. Yeah, and I'm jumping to Cincinnati for my first wild card game. You got the Tennessee Titans jumping into Cincinnati to face the Bengals. Tennessee, seven point dog. I'm taking Cincinnati to win this game. I like what I've seen out of Andy Dalton in this offense. I like what I've seen out of the passing game and out of the running game. And Andy Dalton off that big contract, been able to protect the football so far this year. Hasn't been doing too much, but has been doing just enough for them to win. I think they're going to win a couple of Dallas at St. Louis is my other wild card game. St. Louis at home is getting one and a half points against the Cowboys. I don't trust St. Louis. They're down to their backup quarterback when obviously Sam Bradford went down. Dallas' defense is awful, so St. Louis should be able to put up some points. But I just don't see Tony Romo this early in the season. You know, playing as poor as he did in week one, he played very nice in week two. I think Dallas has enough offensively to, you know, pick up the fact that their defense is down right Awful. Hopefully they're able to do so and make me look smart. Dallas did win the game last season against St. Louis when they played 31-7, and they're averaging 174 yards on the ground, so if they run the ball with DeMarco Murray against a Rams team that gives up 171 yards on the ground. So I think all that together, Dallas goes into St. Louis, covers this one-and-a-half spread, and they win the game. Yeah, I'm staying in Ohio for my second wildcard game. I got Baltimore traveling to Cleveland. You know what, I'm going to go out on the I think Cleveland's going to win the at, at home, I don't love the Baltimore Ravens. I don't like what I've seen just consistently out of the passing game. I understand, you know, they, they, ha they have had success in the passing game and they've had success on the ground. I'm just not a fan of what they are. Defensively, I think they have several holes, especially in the secondary. Uh, they have never really filled that void that Ed Reed left just two years ago at the safety position. And I think Brian Hoyer is doing a nice job throwing the football. And guess what? If not, we'll see Johnny football. So that's our pigskin pick'em segment. And now, Dan, the real fun of the week, this week's Mark Weber game of the week. For those who don't know, we'll do a quick recap. Once a week, we pick a game that we think is either irrelevant, meaningless, or could just be a potential blowout. This week, the game that Dan and I both discussed and we came up with is a 14 and a half spread. You have to go to the New England area to see this game at Gillette Stadium. The Oakland Raiders taking on the New England Patriots. And we saw the Raiders in week one firsthand. They're not very good. They had Derek Carr starting back there. And he's still a rookie, a rookie against Bill Belichick and that defense with Revis. And the Patriots Exactly. With the Patriots home opener after the way the Patriots just destroyed the Vikings on the road last week. I'd be very surprised if that game is even closed by the second half. So that's this week's Mark Weber game of the week. Yeah, you never like to say a team has no chance, but I'd be I'd be shocked if Oakland goes in there on their home opener. Oh, I would love it. And it's I'll not going to happen. Oh, I'd love it too, believe me. Uh, I would, but I just can't see it with a rookie quarterback going to Gillette Stadium for the Patriots home opener. Uh, it's not going to happen. So just to recap our picks, as we always do, I am taking the Giants to uh, defeat the Texans, and obviously since they are underdogs at home, that would mean I would win if that happens. That's a two-and-a-half point spread. Steelers at the Panthers. I like Carolina, given the three-and-a-half at home. Colts at the Jaguars. Colts going on the road. I'm still taking the Colts to cover that seven-point spread. And then, of course, Dallas at St. Louis. Dallas is obviously giving points on the road, but I think they're good enough to be able to make up for that. I'm taking Dallas. Uh, giving the one and a half points to win that game outright. Then, of course, Monday Night Football, our team, the New York Jets. I'm picking them to win the game, cover the three-point spread. Gino, please don't make me look bad. Please. 
Uh, well, that's soon to find out. Just to recap on my picks a little bit. Giants winning with the spread. I think they're going to get their first win of the year. I got the Jets winning with the spread. I think the Jets will win on Monday Night Football. My wild card, I think Cleveland will win against the Baltimore Ravens in Cleveland. I got, obviously, Carolina uh, over Pittsburgh. And then Cincinnati, my second wild card game. I got Cincinnati over Tennessee. I just don't like the Titans. I don't like what I've seen so, Dan, happy football Sunday to you in a couple days. It's going to be you know, quite enjoyable for us. We just get to sit back. We get to watch the games. They're real fun for us. Or I wouldn't say fun. It's very stressful being a Jet fan. Starts Monday night against the Chicago Bears. Hopefully, by the time we do the show next week, we'll be happy 2-1 and one, New York Jet fans. That'd be nice. And for Giant fans, maybe the Giants will be 1-2. Maybe they'll have a game. and uh, A game in their hands. Game a game under their... Uh, Game under their feet a little bit. And they do know. say that first win is the toughest. Last year it took the Giants six weeks. Hopefully this year they can get it done in quicker fashion. So that's going to do it for us. For Dan Budick, I'm Jay Gasman saying so long. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Asman Budick Show. This has been the Football Frenzy Podcast. listening to the Asmin and Budic podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.